follow me into this new year and this new decade. So let's look in our Bibles at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. I'm reading from the NLT version today, and it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So let's just pray as we, before we begin today's message. Father, we just thank you for your words of truth. Lord, we thank you that you have yeah, words to bring life and hope and freedom today. And Father, would you give us a heart to receive what it is you want to say today? Would we have a willing heart, uh, ears to hear and eyes to see that you would be glorified in this place today? In your precious name, amen. So one of the great themes of in the book of Mark, we've been doing a series called According to Mark. And one of the great themes in Mark is found in these first four verses um, where it says, come follow me. And it's a call to be Jesus' disciples. Um, See, it's not enough to simply believe in Jesus. We even know that Satan believes Jesus. But we are also called to follow him and to be disciples of him. And I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered why these four fishermen walked away from everything they knew, everything they had, um, everyone they knew to come and follow Jesus. I mean, poor Sebedee, the father, his sons get called and suddenly they get up, walk off the job and leave everything to him and his hired crew. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever had your children come and ask to do a job for you? Our children at the moment are saving very hard for these transformers they desperately want. So they're coming to us constantly asking to do jobs for us. The last one was, can we wash your car, mum? I said, yeah, no, that's fine. Go talk to dad. So they roped dad into it and... Um, I don't know, five, ten minutes into the job, I look outside and there's Dave madly scrubbing away at my car and the boys have lost interest and kind of wandered off. It always happens and then they expect you to pay up the money. Yes, they did. They're, very, they're, they're good bargainers. They're good, good businessmen, they are. So what possessed these guys to walk away? Now, we know it wasn't Jesus' good looks because in Isaiah 53, it talks about how there was nothing in appearance, in appearance of Jesus to attract people to him. We know it wasn't his wealth, his status, because he said himself that he had nowhere to lay his head. Yet it says that the disciples not only left everything, including their family, but immediately they got up and started following. Now this, must be, this may be strange to us, but it wasn't strange to the people back then, or the Jewish people, in fact. In fact, it was considered a great honour and an opportunity of a lifetime. And to understand this, we need to kind of rewind a little bit and go back to the Jewish education system. So Jesus, back then, was known by many people as a Jewish rabbi. 
which meant a teacher of the law. And in Jesus' day, the term rabbi wasn't necessarily an occupation that you kind of became like a pastor or a um, a priest, but it was actually a word meaning great one or my master. And he was recognised this by many people. It says even the Pharisees and the Sadducees and um, the disciples, they all recognised Jesus as a great rabbi. Now certain rabbis would have schools of followers. That's why John the Baptist had followers or disciples. But Jesus wasn't just any rabbi. He was a rabbi that was known to have great authority. And that meant that he could um, make his own interpretations of the Torah, which is the law, the first five books, and therefore teach into that, which is exactly what he did. And there were only a few of them around in Israel. So to follow one of the great rabbis with the great authority was considered, considered a life, lifetime opportunity. And in the Jewish education system, um, Jewish children began their education at around five. And in, at five, their goal was to learn all five books, the Torah, off by heart, orally off by heart, memorised, all of them, word for word. And then after that, most of the um, kids would go off and learn a trade. So that's why you had people learning the family trade or fishing or, or whatever it was. But the best students would continue on in their study and they would then go on to learning interpretations of the Torah and memorising other scriptures off by heart. And that would usually be under a rabbi. Now the best of the best of those would then carry on and they would actually approach a rabbi and say, can we come and learn under you? Can we um, learn all that you teach and all that you are? And these students were called the Talmudim, which is translated as disciple. And so they would approach the rabbi, and if the rabbi thought that they knew enough and they could essentially become like them, he would say to those students, come follow me. And what that would mean was those students would leave everything behind and come follow their rabbi in order not only to learn what the rabbi said and did, but to actually become like the rabbi. And so they would leave everything behind and come and live with the rabbi and um, walk with the rabbi and sit and eat and, and basically give up their whole lives in order to become like the rabbi. Now at the age of around 30... When, the, when they essentially had become almost like the rabbi, the rabbi would then commission them to now become a discipler, which is interesting that Jesus started his ministry at 30. And Jesus also told the disciples when he left, um, I now commission you to become disciples. And essentially what that meant was that they would actually be saying, Go um, As far as it is possible, you are like me. Now go and seek others who will imitate you, for when they imitate you, they will imitate me. Which is why Paul said to his followers, come imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if a rabbi actually approached a Talmud and said, come follow me, this was a really big deal. Because essentially what the rabbi is saying is, I believe in you. I believe you have what it takes to become like me and so I'm choosing you to come and follow me. You haven't chosen me, I've actually come and chosen you. 
And usually they would choose, remember, the best of the best, the people that had been all through the education system and were usually um, at the top end. But it says that these men were mere fishermen. And in Acts, it says that they were unschooled and ordinary men. Yet Jesus came to them and said, come follow me. I believe that you have what it takes to walk with me, to be like me, and I'm choosing you to come and leave everything behind and walk with me. Isn't that amazing? And do you know what? It's the same with us. It says that you didn't choose him. I chose you and appointed you to come and be my disciples and to go and bear fruit that would last. And so we can understand now why these men said, sorry, see you later, Father, I'm out of here. I've just been given the opportunity of a lifetime to be a disciple and I'm not, I'm not backing down from this. But from reading the other accounts, we learned that they didn't even just think that he was just a rabbi. They also believed he was the Messiah, the one Isaiah foretold long ago that would rescue the Jews, God's chosen people. So how do we know that? Well, we need to go to the other Gospels to kind of flesh out the story a bit more because Mark only gives us a snippet. And in the book of John, we read that Andrew was actually um, with John the Baptist at the time that John had announced that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Andrew was so excited that they had found the Messiah, the one promised. Because don't forget, we had just come out of 400 years of silence and separation and then John the Baptist comes preparing the way of the Lord and announcing that the Messiah has come. So Andrew ran and found his brother Simon and said, Look, we found the Messiah. And, that's when, and he introduced Simon to Jesus. And that's when Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, meaning rock. And if we go on to Luke chapter 5, verses 2 to 11, we see there's more details of Jesus calling Peter, James and John. Um, that are not actually in Mark. So I want to look at that today as well so we can get a fuller picture and then we're going to kind of look at what does it mean to us today to actually be a disciple of Jesus. Um, before I do that, I left my water bottle down at the front. My um, next, uh, down the front there, yeah, thank you. Can I grab that? My mouth is going very dry. All right, so let's look at Luke chapter 5, verses 2 to 11. That should be up on your screens as well. Yes. Thank you. All right. It says that in verse 2, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, and for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out onto the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Now notice how he calls him master. So he's recognised that he's a rabbi and that's what they were called. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realised what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. 
His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. It's an interesting um, other perspective that um, Luke writes of this whole um, same scenario. And so we can see from Peter's reaction that this miracle of that Jesus performed once again may have confirmed that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and he, and he didn't feel worthy. He said, I can't be around you, I'm not worthy. Remember, he didn't, they probably didn't feel good enough to be called by Jesus because they hadn't been trained up in the whole system. But Jesus said, don't be afraid, come and follow me anyway and I will make you fishers of men. Now this really struck me because sometimes when we're called to things that are beyond us, we can think, well, how am I going to get there? How am I going to do that? I had some kids at school the other day talking about um, they're in year six and they said, oh, we're not looking forward to next year. We're going to be in high school and it's just such a way, you know, it's so, um, it's too hard for us. And I said, but you're not there yet. You're not ready. You're not able to um, be be prepared for it because you're not old enough yet. But when you actually get to the end of year six, you'll feel more ready. So you don't need to be afraid. And it's the same that Jesus doesn't expect us to go from here to here straight away. It's a journey of transformation. And he says, I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. And I love that because Jesus calls us and our responsibility is to say yes to that invitation, but it's actually not to um, make us or strive to be what we think we should be. We just need to simply trust and obey and he will transform us and make us fishers of men. And so today, Jesus extends that invitation to us. Come follow me. And so I want to look at five aspects of this and how we can apply it to our lives today. The first is, it was a call to come as you are. I find the fact that Jesus called four ordinary fishermen so comforting um, because they weren't the best of the best. And But Jesus chose them. And essentially what he's saying is, I believe you have what it takes. And every time you doubt that, as they did, And as we do, remember the fact that I chose you before you chose me. See, Jesus didn't expect them to scrub up. I don't think he even expected them to change out of their clothes. I don't know. It doesn't say. But he certainly didn't ask them to get it together. They were ordinary, unschooled men. And they were told basically to come as they were. I didn't say stay as you are because Jesus never allows us to stay as we are, but it's an invitation to come as we are. And all throughout the Gospels, we see this to be true, that Jesus says to the weary, come. He says to the poor, come. He says to the thirsty, come. He says to the sinners, come. And it's not about, you know, getting, I don't know, passing this grade or doing this or doing that or having it all together. In fact, we were talking to one of our new neighbours the other day. She came over and was just sharing that she's going through a really rough time and her mum had just been diagnosed with cancer. Um, she was going through horrible court stuff with, um, with the boy's dad and 
and she ended up talking about how her mum had been doing this um, Christian ministry and was doing really well. So we started to talk about things of God and she said, you know, I just can't, I can't talk to God about any of this. She said, I just feel like he's just so sick of my drama and I'm just so angry with him. I just can't come to him. I'm just too angry. And um, I just found, I guess myself saying, but Jesus doesn't ask you to to have it all together to come and he doesn't ask you to, he just says, come as you are. And and um, tears began to well up in her eyes and I could tell that the Holy Spirit was doing something. And I don't know, you know, what came of that we haven't had the chance to follow up but I do know that Jesus says to us hey come just come come as you are and let me be the one that transforms you from the inside out 1 Corinthians 1 verses 26 to 31 says brothers and sisters think of what you wear when you were called so I want you to apply this to you Not many of you were wise by human standards. They don't beat around the bush, do they? Not many were influential and not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So the first is a call to come. Come as you are. The second is a call to follow completely. It says that at once they left their nets and followed them. Now their nets represented their entire life. It represented their way of life, who they were, their identity as fishermen. It represented their source of income. It represented their security, their comfort. It represented their community. They were amongst friends, I'm sh- you know, fishing and amongst family. And to be a disciple, to be called to come follow me, it meant walking away from all that and completely being devoted 100% to the call of being a disciple. And in Mark 10, verse 28, Peter said to Jesus, I think Peter was looking for some sympathy here, because he says, do you know we've left everything to follow you? And That's essentially what they did. They left everything to follow. It says that Peter had a wife. I don't know what happened to the wife. Maybe she, there were other followers and maybe she joined along. But And and some of you might be thinking, oh, this is pretty good. But I'm not telling you you can leave your wife, just so you know, or your husband. It's not, what does it actually mean? Does it mean we walk away from everything to follow him? Well, let me look at a story that both Matthew and Luke both tell about a man that desperately wanted to be a follower of Jesus. So there were other people that would come and say you know, to the rabbi, can I also be one of your band of followers? Can I come? And Jesus said to this one guy, yes, you can come. Come follow me. And the guy said to Jesus, well, actually, let me first go bury my father. 
And Jesus' response is quite interesting. He says, no, let the dead bury the dead. If you want to come follow me, then come follow me now. Now, this may seem harsh and downright insensitive, um, but what was Jesus actually meaning? And there are mixed views here. Some believe that the father wasn't actually in fact dead. Culturally, the people would have to wait until their parents died before they could leave everything. And so some believe in commentaries that this is what it's talking about. Others believe that it was spoke of spiritual death and others believed it was speaking of the second burial. So in the Jewish customs, they would have a burial and then they would have a second one a year later where they would move the bones to another place. But whatever it meant, it doesn't actually matter because we know that it's not saying to not dishonour your parents. Because later, if we carry on, um, in Matthew 15, Jesus actually rebukes the Pharisees for not honouring their mum and dad, their mother and father. So we know that Jesus is not actually saying that. And essentially what Jesus is saying and challenging is that the call to follow me isn't a half-hearted response. It isn't for the faint-hearted because in Mark 8 he says, you know what, this is what it means to follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and come follow me. And do you know what, when the disciples first came to follow Jesus, it could have been they thought he was the Messiah. Now remember last week we learned that the Jews thought that the Messiah meant that he was coming as this warrior king that would um, completely destroy their enemies and re- rescue them. But they learned quite quickly along the way that actually following Jesus wasn't about a crown, it's about a cross. And that Jesus had come actually not as a warrior king, but as a suffering servant. And at one point, it got too hard for even the disciples. And they said, and many people were leaving, many people, not the 12 disciples, but many other disciples were leaving Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples, well, you're, are you going too? And they said to him, well, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And in other words, nothing really compares to following you. Yes, there's a cost to following him, but the cost to not following him is far greater. You know, sometimes it is a literal call to leave everything behind. You know, when we become a Christian, we leave our old sinful ways behind. But a lot of the time, it's actually about surrender and laying things at the foot of the cross so that God is truly the Lord of your life. For Jesus, he surrendered his will completely to the Father. Um, Dave spoke today about take this cup of suffering away from me but Lord not my will but yours be done and this is a prayer of a true disciple and I believe that as we start another year and as we start a new decade that the Lord is inviting us today and challenging us today hey there's some nets that you're holding on to there's some things that you're holding on to that I'm actually inviting you today to come lay them down, to come and put them down. I don't know what those nets are. 
we all have our ambitions, we have plans, we have expectations of even how we want this year to be, of how we want this church to look like, of what, what we want in our work and what we want in our families. And some of them are not necessarily bad, but the Lord is saying, hey, would you submit them completely to me? Would you cast aside those things that you're holding on to? I remember so many times God leading me along this path. So he would even promise me things like he'd promise, I'm going to give you children. But then he asked me to surrender that dream down. There was times that I remember when I first got married to Dave, um, we'd been, I don't know if I've told this story, I forget which stories I've told, but we were newly married and I, it was like one of our first weeks back and there was this new person at church and she turned around and gave Dave a prophecy and she said, the Lord's called you to be a martyr and he's actually going to bring that call, um, oh, I can't remember the exact words, but it's going to come, quick, come quickly or it's going to be sooner than later. And when you say that in front of a new bride, it's not very wise. And I remember being so upset. Lord, you, I've been waiting for years and I laid down this desire and you finally give me a husband and now you tell me that you're going to take him away. And I was really, I was actually really worried. Now, it may seem humorous, but I actually really was worried because I don't think I really believed God was that good. I think there was something in me that always thought, God would take away the things. I don't know why. But. And God had to really challenge me on that. And I remember he said, Kyla, he brought me to the story of Abraham. You don't want God to take you to the story of Abraham. It's where he sacrificed Isaac. And he said, I remember I was at work. And he said, Kyla, I want you to lay Dave down on the altar. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And I was like, Lord, if that's you, you're going to have to give me confirmation. I'm not doing that. And <laughs> 11 years on, yes. <laughs> anyway, it's very hard to tell a story when you all interrupt. <sighs> God gave me, I don't know how many times, but I remember opening up my devotion for that day and guess what it was on? Abraham's called to sacrifice Isaac and how there's things in our lives that the Lord wants you to sacrifice and surrender and let go of. And I remember, I was a receptionist at the time at, at the school, and I remember getting on my knees and I think, I don't remember how I was, but I was shaking and visibly upset. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to lay him down. I'm going to surrender. And do you know, instantly that fear of losing him completely left and peace beyond comprehension came and took over. And I have never um, had that fear again that something was going to happen to him to take him away. That I'm not, I don't know what the future is and all of that, but I just trust God. But I had to actually surrender it. And do you know when God says, hey, surrender, it's because he's a good God. And you know, he's told me so many times to surrender. I remember um, it took us years to fall pregnant with our second. And again, God said, and I was so fearful again about losing him um, in my pregnancy. And God said, I want you to surrender him. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And then eventually I did. I learnt my lesson, so it didn't take as long. Eventually I did. And God said, good, now I can look after him because you've now given him over to me. And not long after that, I actually ended up in hospital with um, midterm bleeding, which was quite scary. But God, I just knew that peace that God says, I'm looking after him. 
What do we need to let go of today? What nets do we need to let go of today? What agendas? What plans? We need to, the Lord is saying, submit them totally and trustingly to the will of the Father. Which leads me to my next point. The call is to follow, not only completely, but trustingly. So when a rabbi called his disciples to come follow, follow him, they had no idea what that would look like. They did not know where the path would lead or what life would look like. And for Jesus' disciples, he said, I have no place to put my head, no place to call my home, but are you going to come and follow me anyway? So I'm not going to promise you that um, some rabbis would, you know, they'd have all these great grand synagogues to teach in and their disciples would almost be like this, you know, prestige group of people that would be allowed in that. But Jesus is essentially saying, no, I don't have any of that. The path is actually uncertain, but are you going to come and follow me and trust me anyway? See, they followed him at once, or another translation says immediately they came and followed him. And to me, that word shows they had complete trust. Well, maybe not complete trust even at the start, but they had trust that, number one, he was the Messiah. And so if we want to be a follower of Jesus, we need to first put our trust in him. But then we need to actually trust him with our lives and know that even though we don't know where the path may lead, we know the God that leads us. And we know that he is a God that is good, that he is the good shepherd, it says, that leads us into green pastures and besides still waters. And so I feel like the Lord would say, just like he said to Peter that day, do not be afraid. But come follow me. Trust me. Put your hand in mine and come follow. A verse that really has encouraged me this year has been from Joshua 1 verse 9. And it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And while Jesus said, come follow me, and they didn't know where they're going, he always promised to walk ahead of them and with them. And he does the same for us. Will you trust him? The next thing, it was a call to follow obediently. To be a disciple meant you did what the rabbi did. You followed in their footsteps in order to become like the, the rabbi. You wanted to be like him, so you obeyed him. And in fact, it would talk about in, in the Jewish um, writings that it would, you were to take on the yoke of the rabbi, which meant you submitted to his interpretations and his applications of the Old Testament. And it's interesting that you know, each um, rabbi had a different yoke, a different way of interpreting. And you could pick their disciples by the way that they spoke because they copied everything that their rabbi did. And they spoke like their rabbi, they did what their rabbi did. Um, they were essentially becoming like their rabbi. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, know that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I love that because it's not burdensome to obey the Lord. But it's necessary because it says in John 8, 31, if you obey my teachings, you really are my disciples. 
And Jesus was an example to his disciples in this. He obeyed even right up until death. And not only did he die, but he also let his will die. Because he said, not my will, but yours be done. And why God doesn't necessarily call us to die for him, some of our wills need to die. Where we say like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Because that is the heart of a true follower. But obedience really is about delighting in the Father. Jesus so loved and delighted in his Father that he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And the disciples so loved Jesus, so loved being with him and and wanted to be like him that they too sought to do his will. And that's why Jesus says, those that love me, he says this in John, those that love me are the ones that obey me. Because obedience is really about delighting in the Lord. It's really about loving him. And the other thing is that remember God chose you. You didn't choose him. And so he says, I believe that you can do this. In fact, I'm going to send you one that will empower you and equip you to become like me. So we don't do it in our own strength. That's why his yoke is easy. Because it's not in our own doing that we obey. It's under his influence, under his power. Titus 2 talks about in verses 11 to 12 that grace is not only for salvation, but it also empowers us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Did they get it right every time? No, that's what grace is. No. They didn't. We don't either. But it was such a heart that I love you so much, Lord, that I want to be like you. And so I'm going to do what you do. But I need your help. So would you empower me to do what you told me to do? The final thing that he calls us to is to follow closely. See, one of the traits of a disciple was that they followed so closely behind their rabbi so that they could hear what he said and they could do what he did and so close that they would be covered in the dust of their rabbi or they would sit in the dust of their rabbi as he taught. And to be covered in the dust of your rabbi showed others how closely you actually walked to your rabbi. And the closer you are to someone, the more you become like them, in good ways or bad ways. But we become like those who we're close to. That's why you find your children saying things like you, because they're close to you. And sometimes they're good things and sometimes they're not so good things. But one of the closest disciples was Peter. And Peter assured Jesus that he would never forsake him. I will never leave you. I will always walk closely with you, Lord. And Jesus said, no, actually, that's not going to happen. And and Peter said, no, it's true. I'm going to never leave your side. And close to the time that Jesus was taken away by soldiers to be put on a cross, it says in Mark 14, verse 54, that Peter followed Jesus from a distance. 
So Jesus, Peter said, I'll never follow you from a distance, Lord. I'll always follow you closely. But it says here that Peter followed him from a distance and then it goes on to say that he was warming himself by a fire and some people came up to him and said, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And that's when he said, no, I'm not. And three times he denied Christ and then the rooster crowed and he was reminded. But then after Jesus was raised again, the, the disciples went back to fishing. They obviously thought maybe they'd blown it or what they thought, I don't know. They went back to fishing and remember the first miracle back in Luke, how Jesus told them to put down their nets on the other side and to catch fish. Well, we come back to that place after Jesus has been raised again. And Jesus is on the, boat, on the beach this time, cooking fish for breakfast. And the disciples recognise him there because he calls out to them about fishing again. And he's the resurrected Christ this time and, and he, Peter comes to him and there's no mention of what happened. But Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you really love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. Well, then go and feed my sheep. Remember, obedience comes from love. And, and that was the point where Peter once again walked closely with the Lord. And to the day of his death, he carried on the great work of his master in becoming a disciple, of, a disciple himself. You know, we all have moments where we start off close to the Lord and then things come and they distract us or they detour us. And we end up like Peter where we don't necessarily deny Jesus, but we walk from a distance. But just like he calls us, calls his disciples to come back close to him, he calls us today to come back close to him. It says that if you abide in me and I in you, then you will go and bear much fruit. The call for this year, for every year, is to draw near. And God promises that he'll draw near to us. So as we sit on a shore of a new year again, on the shore of a new year, of a new decade, hear today Jesus' words to you. Come. Come follow me. Now, I don't know what's up ahead of, of this year for you. I don't know what it looks like. But I believe as we start another year and a new decade, the Lord's inviting us individually and as a church to surrender afresh again. To surrender your ambitions. This is what I want to do this year, Lord. To surrender your plans and your agendas. To surrender your fears and your worries trustingly to the will of the Father that he knows what's ahead. So we're in a great transition time as a church, but we follow the Lord that knows, that sees, that guides us into all good things. So we don't need to be afraid because we know the one who calls and we know the one we follow. So when I was praying about today, I just felt there were three 
invitations today that I want to just give out. And I just want for you just to take a moment just to reflect. You can close your eyes. I don't know where your heart's at today. I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus or not, but I feel like there's some that the Father for the first time is saying, come follow me. Well, what do I need to know to follow you? Well, all you need to do, it says, if those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, those that believe in their heart that he is Lord, will be saved. It's about believing in him. The second invitation is for those that perhaps have been following Jesus from a distance. Sometimes things happen, busyness comes, hurts come. I don't know what it is for you. But I feel like there's been some of you that have just been hanging back. And Jesus today is saying, hey, it's time to follow me closely once again. It's time to trust me once again. It's time to come back into my arms and hold my hand and let me lead you into good pastures. And the third invitation, and you might fit in all three and that's okay, but the third invitation is to put your nets down. I feel like there's some things that we need to surrender today as we step into a new year. They might even be good things, but if they've not been placed under the Lordship of Christ and we, we take them in our own strength and the Lord is saying, hey, my, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Come to me or her weary, but surrender afresh to me this year. Lay down your plans. Because he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans that are good. Plans for a hope and a future. So with every eye closed, head bowed, I just want to allow people to respond today. I don't want to embarrass anyone today, but I want to just ask if there's anyone for the first time that would like to say, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus today. Then if you could just put up your hand quickly so I can include you in a prayer, I'm going to pray. And the second invitation that I want to include in this prayer is for those that have been maybe following him from a distance, but the Father is saying, hey, come back close to me again. Come follow me closely. If that's you, I want you to quickly pop up your hand today. I want to include you. Thank you. See that hand. Thank you. See those hands. So let me first just pray for this, this area. Father, you see those hearts, you see those hands. And Lord, we've all been there at times where we've wandered away, 
where we've followed you close, sorry, followed you from a distance. Father, would you forgive us today? Father, would you, by your grace, encourage your people today to come back to you? Lord, we choose today to follow closely. For this year, we choose today, for this year ahead, to come and walk closely, to be covered in your dust. Would you bless those hearts today? And the third, the third invitation, if you feel like you need to surrender some things today, just while you're sitting, I just want you to just, uh, as a posture of surrender, just hold out your hands. And just bring to the cross those things that the Lord is asking you to put at His feet today. Father, we all have things that we need a place at the foot of your cross. And Father, would you see those hearts and those hands today that just want to surrender afresh to you this year? Lord, we just place those things aside. We put those things into your hands. And we say today, not my will, but yours be done. Father, would you help us not to keep taking them back off you, but to actually leave them with you and to trust you with them. And Father, I just want to pray a blessing on everyone here that as we go into a new year, would you bless your people? Would you empower them and equip them? Lord, though the road at times may be windy or hard, Father, you promise to go with us and before us. And would people take heart and courage today knowing that in Jesus' name. So we're just going to come into our time of worship. I'm just going to hand over to Pastor Dave. And we're going to carry on our worship. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. It's a beautiful presence of God here, isn't it? I really encourage you to um, make sure you listen to the podcasts. I don't know if you realize, but um, that was an insanely great message. 